Uh, normally, if uh, you're visiting with us today, we are expositionally going through the Word of God. I'm in the book of Titus. We're almost finished with the book of Titus in the morning service. Um, but last week we had a message related to Christmas, and this year, uh, this week, it is a, a different message as well. Uh, so we'll be going into the Word of God, but not in Titus this morning. Philippians chapter 3 is the text, and I want to read verses 12 through 16. And to many of you will be a very familiar text, but Philippians 3 verses 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. And if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have attained. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we are grateful for the opportunity this morning to share and to hear what you're doing in individuals' lives. It's a real blessing to gather together as we come to another end of a year and to be able to reflect on the Word of God. We have the privilege of opening it up, and we thank you that we can look into our Bibles and hear directly from you. And I pray that as we're in a familiar text again this morning, that you'd use it in our lives, challenge every one of us, and that, Father, we would walk out of this room changed and knowing that we've heard from you. We commit our study of the Word of God with thanksgiving, and in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So if you get your Bibles, you want to open them to Philippians chapter 3. And let me ask a couple of questions as we set the tone this morning. How are you doing? How are you doing? How are we doing? And as we come to this time of year and this week, I'm sure on the TV and also involved in newspapers, although those are becoming a thing of the past as well, with all the technology, there's usually an evaluation that goes on and a presentation and a summary of what has taken place uh, during the year. It's an end of the year look back on the past and a, a thinking about the future. And as that goes on, for some of us, uh, if there's something important coming up, as we look to 2014, there's usually some excitement. For example, if there's a wedding that you're anticipating being involved in, or if there's a graduation coming up, or something of this nature, or a new job, then as you look to the new year, you can get excited. On the other hand, as people look ahead, sometimes it can be not so exciting. In fact, it can be rather depressing when you begin to look ahead because some know that they're facing an operation or the job is ending or a difficult circumstance is coming up that they have to face. And when it comes to the end of the year and they're looking forward to a new year, uh, it's usually not that good. But for many, they usually fall into the category of same old, same old. You know, another year, this one flew by and 
or getting older and another year is coming. And should we even take the time to reflect and to think about the past and to think about the future? And if so, how should we live and how should it affect the way we, we think and, and what we're going to do? Well, let me just answer a couple of those questions pretty quickly. Yes, I do think it's proper for us to evaluate both individually and as a church. And I should also say, even as a family, to evaluate where, where we've been, what, what, what has happened, and where are we going. And uh, to also do this reality check, and then to anticipate where we're going. In the context that it's before us, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, and I have been through that book with you as a church, but Paul, first of all, knew what was important to him. And he said it prior to the text that's in front of us. He really knew what in his life was important. And I think, by the way, that's a good place for all of us to start. What really is important to us in life? And we heard some things this morning, and I really appreciated that, about some of the gifts and some of the people that you were with and some of the things that happened. But what really is important? I think everyone has to assess that. For Paul, just to give us a little insight... I think he had some great things that were important before we get into our immediate text. In verses 10 and 11 prior to this, he outlined for us what was important. Just take a scan at those verses. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. He says, that I might know him, that was number one. One of the things that Paul had assessed that was important to him was that he wanted to know God. We say, I thought Paul knew God. He did. But he wanted to know him better, and he wanted to know him in an experiential way, not just facts. This morning, let me just begin by challenging all of us with that. And I would say that most people in this room know a lot of facts about God. But is that all we have? Is it just facts? He didn't want to just have a sterile, a plastic relationship with God, which most people in this world have. He wanted to know, really know God in an experiential way so that in his life it was a real experience. A couple of things I jotted down in my notes. Have you ever heard of this? I saw on a shelf uh, recently this. Real plastic snow. I don't know what that is, but it's not real. I remember being down in Florida and uh, the Cape has this as well, by the way. And there's a bottle that says, real Florida sunshine. And you can take it home. Right? Um, that is not real. That's not real Florida sunshine. There is no plastic snow. Well, I say those things because sometimes our relationship with God, that's what it is. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah God's there. I, I know God's somewhere, right? I... I think there's a God. Uh, yeah, I have some type of relationship with God. Let me just ask all of us this morning, is that all you have? It's not much to live on. It's not much when you die to be able to say to God, I, I, I knew you were there somewhere, but I had a plastic relationship with you. I, I, it was, really wasn't real. Paul wanted a real relationship. So I want to begin there. Do you really have a 
relationship with God at all? Do you really know him in an experiential way? Does he affect your life? Do you see him working in your life? Second thing he said, I want to know the power of his resurrection in verse 10. We're not even to our text yet. But that's what he had outlined. He said, I want to know the power of his resurrection, if you look at it. What was that? He wanted people to see that it was real. Not only did he have an experiential relationship with God, but that this new person, one that had been raised from the dead, the Apostle Paul, who had not, he had a very religious background, by the way, if you didn't know him, Paul. He, he knew what the scripture even said, and he did a lot of things religiously, but he actually persecuted the church of Jesus Christ. Now he had been raised from the dead. He was a person that was brought from death to life. He was a person that was in darkness and was now brought to light. And he wanted to have others see that power of God and how he had been changed, seen in others as well. He wanted to experience it, but he also wanted to experience that power of the resurrection life so that others could see it. And the third thing he said, this is kind of strange, but he says that he also wanted to have the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed unto his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. He must have been a sadist, right? No, I don't think so. He was one that wanted to be able to experience the victory of even the sufferings and difficulties that came into his life. And if I could summarize what led up to verses 12 through 16, and we're primarily going to be in verses 12 through 14, Paul was saying that before this, he really wanted to know who God was in an experiential way, he wanted to walk with God, and he wanted to experience God's power in his life. That's what he wanted. Well, how was he to do this? Where did it begin for him to have this type of relationship? I think the same way it begins with us as we come to the close of a year. What do you mean by that? I think it begins with an accurate assessment. That's what I would suggest that we all do. Not a phony, you know, not, it's like coming to church, right? Some people, it was mentioned this morning, obligation. This should not just be an obligation. There's a lot of people that walk through life and they're phony. They really try to give an image on Sunday, for example, or other times when that's really not who they are. They're trying to please somebody else. And that's not an accurate assessment. We want to have an accurate assessment of where we are. Do we really know God? That's a good place to start. If you don't know God, be honest about it. Maybe you know some facts about God, but is it a plastic relationship? If that's the case, then that ought to be one of the things you should be looking for in the new year, to really understand and know him. But what do you mean an accurate assessment? Look at verse 12, where we start our text this morning. I'll look at the beginning of verse 12 and also the beginning of verse 13. Paul says, not that I have already obtained it, or have be already become perfect. And if you look at verse 13, he says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold on it yet. What is he talking about? In the eyes of many people, <coughs> and I'm sure maybe some of us here today, Paul was a spiritual giant. He was used by God to write a lot of our New Testament scriptures. Paul was one that was used to establish local churches. Paul was used by God in magnificent ways in the early church. 
And people probably looked at him as he's the one, he's arrived. To put it in perspective, whether you realize it or not, by this stage when Philippians was written, Paul had been a believer for approximately 30 years. He had a lot of experience behind him. He had been through a lot of difficult times, but a lot of victories as well. And in his life, he's saying after 30 years, I want you to know, I'm not at this point, whatever that is yet. Others probably saw Paul as a failure, not just this giant. Why? He had been beaten. He had lost a great following. Most of his close people had left him. That's a reality in the life of Paul. And so some are looking at him as nothing but a failure. And in fact, the many churches that he had started, if you remember the Corinthian church, they were divided. And they had all kinds of conflict. And in the, sec the, the second epistle of Paul, as we know it, 2 Corinthians, Paul had to write to defend his own ministry because he was not very popular with those he was used to even bring to salvation. So there were mixed feelings about who the Apostle Paul was. And at this stage, he does an accurate assessment. And he says, I want you to know that I, even as I'm writing to you Philippians, and I have these magnificent goals of knowing God better, of walking with God better, I haven't even got there yet. What are you talking about, Paul? He says, I haven't gotten there. God is still working on Paul and he's still working in Paul, and I think that's a good place for us to start. You, before we start looking back, and I'll get there, and looking ahead, to realize that it, even if you do know God, God is not done with you, and he's not done with me, and he's not done with this church, and he's not done with your family. God is still working. Look at what he had written prior to chapter 3. Go with me to Philippians chapter 1, and take a look at verse 6. Many of you could probably quote it. But chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For I am confident of this very thing, Paul's writing to the Philippians now, what? That he who began a good work in you, watch this, will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to do that. He's writing to the Philippians who says he, he had great joy and thanked God prior to this when he even thought of them. And yet he reminds them, you look at God's working in you, and he's not done with you, and he's going to perfect it. He is going to do that. That is true in you. It is true in me. It is true in us collectively. God is working, and sometimes we don't understand what he's doing. As you look in the past year, and we'll get there again, there may have been some difficult things. There may have been some tremendous victories. That is all part of what God is doing in your individual life. You say, but I don't even know him. We heard a couple of testimonies this morning. And I happen to know some of the individuals that were talked about. And I haven't known Deb's mom 30 years, but I know some of the past even is using that example that she brought up. And it is interesting to see how God is working in a situation. Or to hear about another situation where people were just totally rebellious against the things of God, and now there's a softening. Why is that? Is it because of you or me? It's because of what God is doing. And he's working that. When you go to chapter 2 of the book, go to chapter 2 of Philippians, and verse 12, 
It says this. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Paul says, I'm not there. But even though I'm not there, he says this, work out your own salvation. A lot of people have misinterpreted this to think that it's dealing with I can save myself. Let me lay this to rest immediately. You can't. Neither can I. Fellowship Bible Church can't save anybody. No church can save anybody. No rabbi, no parent, no grandparent, no uncle, aunt, husband, wife, or anyone. Only God can save us. His salvation is free. Now, what do you mean, work out your own salvation? Once you're in Christ, you are then to let it work out of you. You are to perform that. Notice how it happens, though. With fear and trembling, and here's the reason, verse 13. Watch. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's because God is working. So by the time he comes to chapter 3 and he says, I haven't arrived, he's already written to the Philippians and said, God's begun a work, he's going to perfect it. If you've come to trust in Christ, you may have had a miserable past year, you might have had a tremendous past year, but God is still working and you haven't arrived, I haven't arrived, we haven't arrived. God's still working. And the only reason we still want to continue on with the things of God is because God is in us, still working it out. Conditionally, we struggle. Positionally, there's a difference. It's like, I'll put it to you this way to try to uh, illustrate it. I have five children, as you know, as a congregation. I will always be their dad, whether they like it or they don't. Positionally, they are a trepanier. That's what happens. Even if their name changes through marriage, I will be their dad. But conditionally is how they walk as an individual. Same with me. Same with you. Positionally, once you trust in Christ, you belong to him. But how is the walk going? And that's what God is working on. So Paul was saying, look, as we'll see in a moment, he's had victories, he's had trials, but God's still working on him. Even he, after 30 years, has not yet arrived. He doesn't know God as best as he could know God. He's not experiencing that victory all the time in his life, even after 30 years. And so he assessed that and says, I haven't arrived there yet. In fact, I won't turn there because of time. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you remember, Paul was pleading with God three times to remove something from his life and began to, God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul had to come to the place to say, I'll rejoice in that. Your grace is sufficient, and it's made better in my weakness. But he had to come to the place that he had to start with an accurate assessment. And I think we have to do that. We have to look at victories. We have to look at our trials. We have to look at our failures as well. Where are we? Where am I as an individual? Where are you as an individual? Where are we as a local assembly? What has happened in our life? Where are we? And right there, there's a danger immediately. What is the danger? Number one, to be a defeatist. What is that? Why bother to go on? You can't imagine the year that I've had. You can't imagine the year that we've had. Or to be smug. I've had a great year. It's been tremendous. God's used me in so many different ways, and everything's gone on. Or to have apathy. 
We're just at the stage that, yeah, I take an assessment. It's been good, bad, ho-hum, not really exciting. Things haven't gone on, and I just don't care anymore. That's what can happen. We don't want to do that. We want to keep our focus. So as we begin to make an assessment of where we are, what should we do? Keep our focus by what? Go back to our text. In chapter 3, Paul says he hasn't got there, but though he hadn't arrived, why? Because Paul saw his weakness. This is the one that wrote in Romans, the things I want to do, I don't end up doing. Have you ever experienced that? Any Christian here today ever experienced that? None of you. Just me. Okay, thanks. And then there's the other situation. Not only do you, the things that you want to do, you don't do, but the things you don't want to do, you end up doing them. That's Paul. But he wasn't a defeatist. He says, I haven't arrived. He said, but I press on. I move forward. This word has to do with energy. He puts all of his energy in going forward, not backwards. Realizing where he is, he's going to go forth. In some other passages, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says he runs the race, how? To win. I never cease to be amazed, even with Christians, how they don't want to win. That's not in my blood. You know that. Are you kidding me? Paul didn't run the race that way. He didn't run the Christian life saying, I'm just running along, hoping things are going to go well. No, he ran to win. If you don't believe that, you read 1 Corinthians 9. In Colossians, he said that he strived with every bit of his energy. That's in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29. With all of his energy in the Christian walk because he didn't want to be left behind. He wanted to be involved in that. He wouldn't quit. And you'll find in this passage that the present active infinitive, uh, present active indicative is used where he's saying he kept on moving forward. He never would step back. He would keep moving forward. While he assessed himself accurately, he wanted to be focused and refocused to catch. Notice what he says. I, lo I lay hold for that which I was laid hold of. That term has got to do with God snatching him. What happened? If you remember, Paul was on the Damascus Road persecuting the church, and God struck him down. That's found in the book of Acts. In other words, using the terms here, he snatched him. Why? Because God had a purpose for Paul. And right from the beginning, he said, I am going to show Paul the many things that he is going to suffer for my name's sake. And I, he was going to use the apostle Paul. And he had a plan for Paul's life. But Paul had to go through the experience of that. And what he's saying in this text is he wanted to press forward with all that was going on, even though he hadn't arrived, and he wanted to know God better and didn't know him the way he should. He wanted to continue pressing forward for the purpose that God called him for, to be used not only to share the gospel, but to be used in a mighty way as he was to write the epistles, to be a testimony before us. And if you have been chosen of God, you have been brought forward by God. God also wants to use you. And your goal <coughs> ought to be not to just get lost in society. Listen, if you're in this room and you're a believer, you've been gifted by God. You say, I don't know what my gift is. It's about time you learn. 
You don't say, you say, I don't even know where I'm supposed to be serving. It's about time you start serving so that you are pressing forward to be using what God, and doing what God wants you to do. And that's what Paul is really saying. I haven't arrived at that place yet. With all that he's been through, right. But he says, I press forward to lay hold on that. I don't think that I've arrived. And he had a plan. What was his game plan? And what should our game plan be? As we come to the end of 2013, we need to assess where am I with God? Where are we with God? And what should we do? Is there a game plan? Yes. Here it is. Verse 13, number one. Here's his strategy. What is it? He says, brethren, I don't regard myself as having laid hold, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. That is tough. What in the world does that mean? That's the negative side. We'll deal with the positive in a minute. He doesn't live in the past. Paul failed many times. You and I as an individual will fail God many times. You and I as individuals will have many victories in our life. But he doesn't live there. He doesn't say, look at all the victories. Oh, wasn't it well 20 years ago? He's not living in the past. He's living in the present. That doesn't mean we don't learn. For example, we had to learn. We are celebrating this year our 50th anniversary as Fellowship Bible Church. We ought to learn from our past. Let me just take the church. We ought to learn of how God was faithful, how God is still faithful, how God is merciful, the victories that we've had, the many people that have been saved, the churches that have been started, what God has done, and to look at the struggles the difficulties, the people who have left, the difficulties that we've had even this past year as a church and the things we've seen. We ought to learn from that, but we shouldn't be living there. We shouldn't be living there. None of us do that with our job or our families. Let me just illustrate it with families. You know your families. If you've had any children at all, okay, in the past, they were a baby. Now, let's say you had two children in your family. You had two children, they grow. Now they get older, they go to college. They leave. Is your home the same way it was then when they were children? No. And if you're living when your children are of college age or go off and get married, if you're just living in the past, wasn't it great and we want to get everybody back together and that's good for you reunions, but I, I just wish it was that way. You're living in the past. Enjoy them in the college years. It's different. When there's an empty nest, you know what? Live there. Don't go back and try to live when they were three years old. We try to do that in our life. You will never be successful. God has started a work. Just take our own church. God started a work 50 years ago. There's been many people that have come through it. There's many people who have gone on, many works that have been started. But you are the church now. You're the ones that God has brought in. 
Don't live in the past. You won't be successful in business. You won't be successful in your family. You won't be successful in an in, as an individual. Look back on the past year. Look back on the past and see what God has done, but don't live there. I'll give you this before I look at a couple of verses. Someone described old age. You know how it was described? Old age, I'm sorry, old age, I got to get the quote right. Old age or a defeated person is a person who leaves, uh, excuse me, who ceases to look forward and is always looking back. A person that's always looking back and is ceasing to move forward is old or defeated. You learn from the past. You don't live in the past. In Galatia, I won't go back there, but Israel, wasn't that that problem? God was going to do a marvelous work for them, wanted to bring them out, brings them out of delivery, and what was the first thing that they did? They started going back to the past. Hey, we were slaves, but we had great food. We had no trials. Are you kidding? Not a reality check. They wanted to go back to where they were. And that is a tendency that we can have as an individual. I want to go back to when I was first saved. I want to go back to whatever it was. It's a danger in a church. I want to go back to the good old days. And that is because you're going to forget all the trials that were in the good old days. Isn't it true? Talk to anyone that's had children. The good old days also had smelly diapers. The good old days had a lot of broken things in the room. The good old days helped you to pull your hair out. That's how the good old days were. There's a reality. And they were wonderful. But we tend to forget those things. In fact, I want to give it to you because of time for just one verse. Turn with, keep your finger here. Go back to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes. That's in the Old Testament. That's a joke, okay? Old Testament, <laughs> but chapter 7. Look, chapter 7, by the way, Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book. Don't ever look at Ecclesiastes as being a pessimist. He's not. He just deals with reality as he writes Ecclesiastes, and I believe it was Solomon. But watch what he says. Right in the hand, here's a guy who tried to build things, and just what happened, this will start at the beginning of the message, as he looked back, that is Solomon, he realized that if he didn't have a relationship with God, everything else meant nothing. Didn't matter what it was. All those other things are temporary. He says this, verse 10 of chapter 7. Do not say, why is it that the former days were better than these? For is it not from wisdom that you ask about this? And he goes on. You look at that, and what is he saying? Don't live in the past. You're going to go back and say, wasn't it better in the former days? And he goes on in the book, he says, no, it wasn't, because you forgot the tough times. You're trying to escape the reality of where you are. So what Paul is saying, if Paul were to look back, going back to Philippians chapter 3, and he lived there, he would have seen a defeated life. Someone who persecuted the church, that's what he said. Someone who hated Christians. 
someone who had many failures and didn't do the things that he wanted to do. He couldn't live there. He could learn from that, but he didn't want to live there. Be honest in your individual lives. You've probably had some wonderful victories, but that doesn't guarantee you a victory tomorrow. You probably had some terrible defeats. That doesn't mean you're going to be defeated tomorrow. You want to move forward. You want to press forward. So the first thing in his game plan was, I'm not going to dwell on the past. I am going to forget what lies behind and then go back to Philippians chapter 3. Part of the game plan was second. He says, I am going to reach forward to what lies ahead. That's the positive. He's reaching forward. He's striving through new open doors. Let me ask you individually, what is God going to do in 2014 in your life? You say, I don't know. Exactly. But it's not going to be the same thing he did in the past. He's still working on you toward perfection individually. And what he wants you to do is recognize the doors that he's going to open for you. you for me, yes, as a believer. And that is what is before you. And he wants you to live in the present with anticipation to the future of what God is going to do in your life. And if you've gone through 2013 as an individual believer with discouragement, with trials, with difficulties, learn from them. That's part of the growth. That's the experience that Paul was talking about of the sufferings of Christ. But look to the future and walk with God now. Press forward to that. Look for the opportunities. What should we do as a church? Over the years, 50 years, tremendous victories. This church has experienced tremendously difficult times. I'll give you one. There was a point in the history of this church, most of you don't know this. There was a point in the history of this church when we were so financially difficult that we borrowed Believe it or not, the leadership had the church borrow money and give it to us so we could survive. We took loans from individuals in the church. People have forgotten that. That was the depth of the financial situation this church was in. We had situations that were unbelievable that I won't get into. We've forgotten them. They should be learned from. And God has continued faithful. And he has for 50 years, and he will continue faithful. Many people have come and gone. That will continue as long as God is still building his church. And in your life, you might have lost a job. You might have had a physical difficulty in the past year. You could have had all kinds of things that is just part of your journey with God. But press forward because God's not done with you. God's not done with me. And he is going to accomplish things. That's what Paul wanted to see. He was looking forward. He was looking forward to what God would do. Go with me to Colossians chapter 3 for one moment. Colossians chapter 3. My time is running away quickly. It's really right through the entire chapter, and I won't go through it with you. But look at chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, here, the same writer, Paul, 
He says, if you've been raised up with Christ, and if you're a believer, you have been, keep seeking the things that are above. He doesn't say stop. Keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind. That is where the battle. I have said this many a time as a pastor, and I want to say it again publicly. I believe that the biggest weapon of Satan is recycling. I personally, in the town of Methuen, recycle things. And one of the things that's done in a Christian's life that I think we ought to do away with is recycling. Because you can be a defeated Christian when God uh, is working in your life and then you recycle all your failures. And it keeps you from moving forward. As a church, if we recycle all of the difficulties, we can not move forward. Paul says, I set my mind. He wants us to set our mind, what? On things above, not on things of the earth, the temporal. And I don't want to just pick on one thing that was said this morning, but that was precious to me. You can have all the gold and silver and the jewelry, right? But how precious it is to get something from your own child that they took the time. And even if it's straw and is rotting out and whatever, that's precious, isn't it? That's a value. Why? Sees that all these other things are temporal. We need to set our minds on things above. Look at it. Why? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, that's what we're to do. We're to live in that. Christ is our life when he's revealed. Then you also will be revealed with him in glory. That's what we're looking forward to. Then he's very practical. He says, take your members of your earthly body and use them basically for godly things, not for ungodly things. That's pressing forward. So as we look back on 2013, as we look ahead to 2014, what are we to do? We're not to dwell on the past and live there. We are to press forward. And the last thing I'll give you is get the goal in front of you. Verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is that? I believe in a very practical sense to get to it. It's Christ-likeness and pleasing God. That's what he had. And literally, this means to be hunted down. He says, I hunted down. I know some of you in the congregation recently went deer hunting. You hunted it down to get the deer. You, you go and you shoot it down. It's interesting because the term got used in verse 6. It says this, as to zeal, Paul was a persecutor. That's the word. He hunted down the church. And now he's saying in verse 14, I press forward, I hunt down this goal of the prize of the upward calling. What is that? To have progress going on in his life. You and I are temporal beings. We're finite. Okay, what does that mean? We are to make the most of our time. Would you compare this with Philippi Ephesians chapter 5 for just one moment, please? In Ephesians chapter 5, just look at this quickly, verses 14 through 16. He says, for this reason, he says, awake sleeper, arise from the dead, Christ will shine in you, therefore... Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. And here it is, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. I need to do that. 
You need to do that. We need to do that. We need to make the most of our time. Paul always had his eye on the victory. He had his eyes. Maybe he had the focus of games. He was the concept of going for the goal and the prize. He talked about in 1 Corinthians 9, standing before uh, and being crowned. And he knew that one day he would have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And he made it his goal. Though he had not arrived, he was still a failure in many ways. He was still not perfected. He had his goal to be Christ-like and to be pleasing to God. Now let me give you a quick thing as we close. He wasn't looking to be religious. It's not just to go to church or have some goal like that. You really want to know what Paul was talking about when he said that goal of, of the prize of Christ. He was already saved, so he's not talking about salvation. But it was pleasing God. How? To understand what compassion is. To be more compassionate. To be more full of mercy. To be more filled with forgiveness. To be more involved in a servant life. That is the things that Paul, if you study his epistles, was striving for. To be more like Christ in his life. And I think as we look to 2014, that's a good goal for us to set. First of all, do I know him? Religion comes and goes. That's why I don't care what it is. I don't care if we're talking Baptist churches. I don't care if we're talking Presbyterian churches, fundamental churches, independent churches. I don't care if we're talking any other religion in the world, be it Roman Catholicism, be it Judaism, whatever. You can follow all those religions, and there's many. Buddhism, you can go all of them. None of that will bring you in a relationship with God. It is God that wants a relationship with us, and that's why he sent his son. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It is only through him that we get to Christ. It is not religion. You can play church and religion all your life and still not be striving the right way. There are many professing Christians, and maybe it's some of us. Maybe in my life it's been there. Where through 2013, some of our lives, it's been professing to know God and we're striving to please him, but it's all religion. It's plastic. Rather than letting Christ be seen in us because I'm either dwelling on the past or I'm not pressing forward. What God wants to see in our life is for us to be more like Christ in our love one for another, in our compassion, in our mercy, in our servanthood. You know, one of the first things, and I can take the, the, the charge first toward me, but one of the first things that happened when we moved into this assembly and I was a senior pastor is those verses were put on the side. You probably come in here and take them for granted. But I think we need that in our individual lives. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than themselves. Now look at that one. Let each of you look not only on his own interests, but also on in the interest of others. Is that the way we're walking individually? Is that the way we're walking collectively? That's being more Christ-like. That's what Paul was looking for.
to be striving forward and to be conforming to the image of Christ, to being Christ-like and having God work in his life. He didn't attain it until at the end of his life, and I won't turn there in Timothy, he says, I've run my full course. I've fought a good fight. It's over. And he says, it's laid up for me, and he was ready to be with the Lord. The crown was there. You and I are still running the race. Look back on 213. I look back on 213 personally. It was a very difficult year for me personally in many, many ways. But God's faithful. I looked at 2014. I look at 2013 with Fellowship Bible Church, Fellowship Christian Academy. Been a difficult year, but I'm not going to live there. We're going to look forward. We're going to learn. We're going to see what God did in the past, all 50 years of it, and look forward. In my Christian life, all in the 30 years, and continue over that, almost 40 years now, and look forward to what God's going to do, because we're going to press forward to the mark. I would challenge you as this year closes, and you look to the new year, examine your relationship with God, number one. And number two, learn from the past, but don't live there, and press forward for the prize of the upward call, that which God's called you to. The day will come when it take you home. Make the most of your time living for the glory of God now. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you for the patience of the people today. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you that the Apostle Paul modeled what he said. He hadn't arrived. He hadn't reached perfection. And it's not as if any believer in this life will meet that, but his desire was to live for Christ. He had been called to the glorious kingdom of God, and he desired to walk in that light. He desired to be pleasing to you in all that he did, knowing that he would fail, but also knowing that you were working in him to complete that which you began. Father, I thank you for every believer in this room and I pray that as we look to 2014, that individually we walk with God, reflect Christ in our life in a way that would be pleasing to you, that as a local assembly we would do that as well, that we would strive to glorify you and to see the things that you will do and will continue to do through your church as you build it. For those who might not know you, my heart's prayer is that they would not just have a plastic relationship with God, but they would come to see that you are real. They would come to see that you really did send your son. You have provided salvation, and that this coming year would be the year of their salvation. Dismiss us now with your blessing. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Chris.